0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 137.
1: One day, I shall come back. That's it. I'll be renewed. As when a time lord's body wears out, you regenerate. I'm a
0: time lord I'm not a human being I walk in eternity hearty.
1: Change my dear And it
0: seems Not a moment too soon Unlimited vice pudding Position wearing a bit thin. Fantastic see? Hell Scottish
2: I can complain about
0: things <laughs> Should be fine Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor story, The Suntaran Stratagem. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. Howdy, Dom, and I'm glad you're back. Well, you know, I got stuck in the uh, time vortex for a little bit. Uh, yeah, but, back uh, in 1864,
1: <laughs> was it? Something
0: like that. <laughs> yeah, 1863, uh, I was stuck on the battlefields of Gettysburg. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, I was actually at Gettysburg for vacation with my family. So uh, that would be a really interesting doctor story. Uh, Keep doctor your head at, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Uh,
0: the doctor at Little Round Top. So... Uh, before we get into today's episode, I do want to, uh, as, as I sometimes do, ask you if you could please write a review on Apple Podcasts. I've been checking that, and there have been some really great reviews from folks, uh, some of you new, newer listeners especially, but if, even if you've been listening for a long time and haven't written a review uh, for the podcast, we really appreciate it. It helps get the word out to others. Uh, when Apple sees you've written a review and they sees other people who like the same sorts of podcasts you do, they say, hey, maybe you'll check this one out. So that helps a, a lot. It does. And please, uh, in the like vein, share the podcast with your friends and your Doctor Who friends, especially. I think they're the ones that might appreciate it so that we can help grow our community of listeners as we're heading to a new season of Doctor Who coming up in just a few months.
1: Was that a pun there in the like vein? Share with its Facebook oh.
0: controls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. well, let's, call, let's call it a, an unconscious pun. Okay. <laughs> so, before and and one last thing, uh, if if you're listening to this, maybe you are the sort of person who likes uh, Disney World and visiting Disney parks and have been with your family. Uh, I, I want to recommend a new podcast we've got on the StarQuest Network called "The Secrets of Disney." Well, it's a it's sort of a new old podcast. It's a revival of our podcast, and uh, we've got a, a couple of hosts, Deborah Shaben and uh, Sherry Tamamoto, who are former Disney cast members who used to work in the parks and are still big fans, and they like to visit and go. And they talk about the parks, they talk about their experiences, they talk about great tips for how to get the most out of your visit, but also sort of all things Disney. So check it out. It's The Secrets of Disney at sqpn.com slash Disney. All right, let's talk about today's episode. Uh, We're talking about the Sontaran Stratagem. This is the 10th Doctor, David Tennant, and we are in the fourth season of the Mm -hmm. revived series and this is the fourth episode and it's the first part of a two-parter so we have the centaur stratagem now and then we will next be talking about the poison sky and Mm -hmm. uh, this features as companions not just donna noble but the return of martha Martha as predicted
1: Jones. because she she took a super phone with her and said I'm going to call you when I really need you and you better show up so in this episode she calls
0: she calls and
1: yep. the the big so lots of Doctor Who is based on current anxieties you know lots yes. of episodes are and that's very clear in this one the current 21st century anxiety that's driving this episode is automobile emissions
0: i would say it's both in this episode it's both automobile emissions and anxiety about technology that takes over or Mm -hmm. becoming too dependent on technology.
1: Yeah. And that's part of, that's a standard thing in, in like these anxiety episodes, one of the common tropes, one of the two ways it tends to get played is, oh, we have a solution to the anxiety and the solution is, is worse than the thing we're anxious about.
0: Right. (laughs) I mean, this is the sort of the, the second, Uh, car pollution episode, frankly, uh, with David Tennant, with the 10th Doctor, right? I mean, we had the one gridlock. Yeah, I mean, this seems to be something that Russell T. Davies had a thing about. Yeah,
1: although I think in gridlock, it was the gridlock itself that was the dominant anxiety Mm -hmm. of just being stuck in traffic.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it wasn't as much the the smog itself. Uh, So that's interesting. One thing, of course, we have to mention that this is the first appearance of the Santarans in New Who, the first time since Classic Who, uh, are they? They're not the last of the major alien races to show up. I think the Zygons were the last.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, the, the Zygons recent. came later. But the Santarans had a the the Zygons were really a kind of a one off villain in Classic Who. They only appeared in the Loch Ness Monster series. That was just their one appearance. But the Santarans appeared multiple times. So mm-hmm. if you had to think of like what are the three top monsters from the from classic? Who it would be the Daleks, then the Cybermen, then the Sontarans.
0: Okay, yeah. and so uh, they show up here with a a, a somewhat new, a, a related but newer design, an updated of the design, as we as mm-hmm. ho- we would hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the The classic Sontaran uh, outfits that they had were actually they were there was such a bear for the uh, actors to wear that. Uh, one of them got ill afterward and mm. may have contributed to an early demise uh <clears throat> sadly but the interesting thing with this one is, is they've made the santarans shorter than they were in classic Coup. did you notice that yes yeah yep. so they 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 do play them shorter and they make that kind of a a a thing that comes out in the episode may, maybe well, bring all that up
2: all that genetic manipulation to make them better soldiers they they lost height in the process apparently
0: so, the enemy will shoot over them, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: one of the handicaps the Centaurans have always had is when when they take their helmets off, they look ridiculous, you know, yeah. and they look like an egg or a potato and I like how, in this episode, one of the unit soldiers, Ross,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh yeah. hangs a lantern
1: on it and says it looks like a baked potato, a talking baked potato, and the doctor turns to Ross and says, "You look like you look like a pink weasel to him
0: yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was good, uh so. We have in this one the first appearance of the actor Dan Starkey. Mm. Yeah. Who plays in this com- one Commander Score, but he will later on return as Strax who is part of the mm. uh, Paternoster gang. Uh but same actor so, so you recognize the voice. So uh and he does a pretty good job. He's also done some other things that uh, it, I think even in Classic Who he's, he's shown up. But uh so it's a it, he does such a good job they bring him back. Um,
1: starkey is such an unusual name that i wondered if he was maybe the son of ringo Starr or something but i looked it up and i didn't find that connection so not sure
0: a little old for that probably yeah i'm guessing um so we start off the story with um a reporter i mean the, the a classic trope a reporter who had gone undercover getting discovered and thrown out of the building which again we recently saw that in uh, that the first adipose. episode of the season, yeah, yeah, yeah adipose, mm-hmm. Atmos, reporters, uh, I don't know. I think are they revisiting things? Uh, but this one is being thrown out of some a place called the Radigan Academy, and she's she's uh, ranting that Atmos is dangerous, uh, and mm. it. It's refers to
1: we've seen Atmos before as a logo on car windows, but it's never been pointed out till now. So we haven't heard the word uttered in the show. And now we hear it uttered and we're starting to learn its significance. And the first thing that's significant about it is it's dangerous.
0: Right. And this is an interesting thing that Russell T. Davies liked to do as as the showrunner was is to hint at the f- future stories mm-hmm. by by putting little easter egg clues in preceding episodes things that don't get mentioned but are in the background or and that just seems to be a, a thing he really enjoyed doing throughout doctor who he's such a bad wolf
2: yeah <laughs> yes well it, it's it, you bring a bad wolf but it's interesting too because this isn't the end of the season you know usually right. it's it's hinting things that's the it's the ongoing story arc for the whole season but this is something where it was kind of a throwaway in other episodes leading to the middle of the season.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've had other things like that this season that, you know, all of the, we've seen other clues that pay off before the end of the season. And I like that. I like not mm-hmm. knowing, Oh, there's the thing that's pointing to the season end. It's, it's, I don't know when right. it's going to pay off. Right.
0: Right. And, and it, and it's also means that the episodes are not standalone, that they're all part of an ongoing story. and And that mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty good too so uh it's the atmos stands for atmospheric omission system not emission system but omission omission system i'm I'm not omits the atmosphere it (laughs) yeah i mean is that is this one of those things where the uh, the bad guy puts the clue uh, for the evil plan right in plain sight where nobody sees it (laughs) (laughs) we're going to omit your atmosphere and you will die yeah, uh, it also also is apparently a uh, not only is it some sort of catalytic converter uh, enhancer, but it's a GPS or sat nav, which is mm-hmm. how they refer to it in Britain uh, oh. and some sort of auto drive unit.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it controls like everything. And I love it where, you know, and we're used to our, you know, uh, you'd use Google Maps or something like that. And it always says, you know, you've reached your destination. Oh, this is. This is your final destination. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in a happy voice, but it's still menacing. Yep.
0: Yes, but yes. So, uh, so uh, Radigan, after the reporter leaves in her atmos-equipped car, uh, contacts his. Uh, the, he's this young guy, Luke Radigan, um, American, and Who is he,
1: suspiciously short.
0: <laughs> he is, isn't he? <laughs> uh, and he contacts the Centaurs. We don't know there's the Centaurans yet, but his his uh, e- alien overlords. And he asked him to kill the reporter. And so they, they do. The they Atmos drives her into a body of water of some sort where she drowns.
1: Yeah uh, <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yep. Talk about 50th anniversary of things. By, uh, by the
1: way, her name is, the way they pronounce it on screen is Joe Nakashima. And yes. she's apparently of Japanese descent. And I'm going, why are they pronouncing it Nakashima? Shouldn't it be Nakashima? Mm-hmm.
0: that's that's what i was thinking it was it's uh i i'd be curious to know if this if Brit- british uh pronounce japanese names differently than americans well and do,
2: it, so. it, it could also be too how many names are there where over time the pronunciation is shifted from the original and if that's yeah. kind of what they're trying to do there
0: perhaps perhaps it,
2: it could be i just we have so much japanese here
1: you know Culture, Japanese restaurants, Japanese people, Japanese tourists here in Southern California. There's, right. I, I've studied some Japanese, mm-hmm. and although I've never specifically looked up the pronunciation of the name Nakashima, I've always heard it as Nakashima.
0: Yeah. I mean, you always, anything, any of the Japanese words that end in Shima, I mean, that's, that's how you, you say Shima, mm-hmm. not Nakashima. Yeah. That was interesting. So, uh, so we, we, after she dies, that's the end of the teaser, we get to, uh, Donna is now flying the TARDIS. The Doctor's letting Donna uh pilot the TARDIS. And there's a
1: little bit of setup for the Doctor Donna. Yep. Uh yes, exactly. exactly.
0: Where where the where Donna takes on aspects of the Doctor in herself. Uh and then he gets that call. He mentioned Jimmy the call on the superphone from Martha. And uh they show up you know I'm Doctor I'm bringing you home to Earth uh, where he could have just said I was just there. I was in Pompeii, but you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh so the uh the doctor lands and and i'm I'm wondering how long has it been since the doctor and Martha have in 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 Martha's time since the doctor well, last uh, saw donna uh, for Martha. Donna
2: we know that it's only been a couple of days
0: right because but we she- don't even know how how long it was before that do we right
2: well,
1: if, if the series is set at this point a year in our future and it tracks in real time, then you would have, a. it would be at least, it would be over a year. Because after Martha left, we had the Christmas special that introduced Donna. And then we had...
2: No, the Christmas special with Donna no, was I'm, the year I'm misremembering. before yeah. Martha. Yeah.
1: It, Donna's this Christmas was special a, was before Martha. And then we had Titanic. the Martha season. Then we had a gap before the next Christmas special, which was Voyage of the Damned. Yeah. And then we had Donna reintroduced. So it's right. been, should be a number of months at least.
0: Yeah. The, according to the TARDIS wiki, it's uh, 2009, is it, which is a year, which the broadcast of this was in 2000, April 2008. So that's the, the difference there. So about a year. Uh, so we could just assume it's been about a year that she's, yeah. that they've been apart. And uh, Donna's, well,
1: a, and, we know some time has passed because Martha's a full doctor now. She's no longer a medical student and she's joined unit.
0: And she's gotten engaged to uh, Milligan, who is the guy that we saw in the Year of Hell. Uh, there that she right. that she encountered, mm-hmm. um, but yes, yeah, so she's joining it, and apparently, Unit sort of advanced her doctoral studies because of experience in the field. Is yeah, what she said. also, um,
1: this is if I believe this is the first appearance of Unit in in Revived Who. And it has a new leader. Uh, They didn't bring back Nicholas Courtney as the brigadier. Hmm. Um, And it also has a new meaning for its name. In Classic Who, UNIT was the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. But here its acronym has been changed to mean Unified Intelligence Task Force. Apparently, it's not being run by the United
2: Nations anymore or Or they didn't want it called that. UN probably gave them a call and said no nah, that's got to change in,
0: in fact that's the that's the what happened is is they they received a request from the united nations not to now, have the acronym be united nations although in fact in the script they they do refer to funding by the united nations uh martha yeah. mentions it um
2: mm-hmm. one, th- one thing you, you mentioned the first time i thought um the um what was that uh the the Slitheen episode, the first Slitheen Slitheen episode where they nuke all the people, I thought that was Unit was involved there, but it was just like you see them and then they get fried by their little badges.
1: Mm. Uh, yeah, I maybe. think it's been
2: mentioned, but we haven't had an active Unit story. Correct. To this yeah, yeah, this is the first right. story where Unit yeah. is a central focus versus mentioned and you see a figure to involve.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. One of the things I, I like is they do bring back a lot of old unit stuff in this. Um, You'll notice whenever they're talking on the walkie talkies, uh, they will use the old style unit language. Uh, Greyhound. They'll, they'll say Greyhound 16 to trap one and Greyhound 40 mm-hmm. to trap one and stuff like that.
2: Right. Well, And it, they mentioned that the doctor worked for unit back in the 70s or was it the 80s? The unit.
1: Dating yes. Controversy. Yeah, that was nice. The dating <laughs>
0: controversy.
1: Yeah, we've talked about it. And that. he never resigned.
0: Right. Yep. Right. Um so I want to go back to the to Donna and Martha meeting for the first time because the doctor sort of assumes that they're going to fight over him. I, I'm not sure why, but he sort of assumes that they're going to be catty. Is it that it's they're going to fight over him or they're just going to fight? They'll be um, jealous right. of each other, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and they, I really like the fact that that doesn't happen here because we've had situations where companions yeah. have met and been catty with each other. You know, at least initially, like with yep. Rose and Sarah Jane Smith. Exactly. And so it's nice to have companions just
2: hit it off right from the beginning at the doctor's expense. Yes. And, yeah, exactly. And, and actually start poking at him. He's like, OK, maybe it would better if you fought. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. But they're they t- t- talking about how skinny he is and uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. So that was that was pretty good. Um, so and then uh, after they have their their little reunion. Martha calls in unit uh, to raid the Atmos factory in search for illegal aliens, which I I thought was a little funny because the aliens they're looking for aren't coming from another country. They're looking for like actual aliens from another planet. Mm -hmm. And then Donna makes an interesting comment. She, uh, you know, as Martha runs off to lead this raid, she says, uh, is that what you did to her? Turn into a soldier. She says to the doctor.
1: Yeah, I like seeing Martha as an action hero here. It really emphasizes her self actualization and it fits with her arc and and the eventual payoff of her arc. It, when we last see her mm-hmm. uh, as the tenth doctor is regenerating, you know, she's at that point married to Mickey, so her current right. engagement isn't gonna last, but she is in yeah. full on action hero mode with Mickey at that moment. Well and also Katarin, incidentally. Yeah.
2: yeah. It also uh plays into the doctor's his his uncomfortableness with having the companions because that's always kind of a balance, especially with the tenth doctor, where he knows he needs a companion, but he always seems to radicalize them in one way or well, another.
0: That's something I was going to mention. Is, is does the doctor always leave his companions worse off? At least in New Who, worse off than when he found them. Uh, you've got uh, um, Rose, Rose, who ends up in a parallel dimension. Uh, I mean, you could argue that she's better. With a off, doctor
2: boy toy, and,
0: yeah, and uh, and a rich dad, uh, mm-hmm. so maybe and her, and yeah her parents back
2: together and everything yeah. so
0: but then martha who's been turned into a soldier donna who gets her her memory wiped and she becomes the dr donna and all that sort of stuff uh then you have amy and rory who gets left back in time you get clara who's killed uh i mean ish, I, I, and ish. that was
1: <laughs> clara's own fault yeah
0: well but but being with the doctor i mean it's not so much that it's the doctor's fault but just Being a doctor's companion, Mm -hmm. the companions don't end up, generally don't usually end up in a good place.
1: No. Yeah. Bill gets turned into a Cyberman and then a a, a nanobot monster who's happy. And (laughs) Nardole comes out pretty well.
0: He does. Yeah. Yeah. So... I just that that was something that occurred to me as Donna was m- noting that Martha is now a soldier of of sorts. Okay, so yeah, I but I, I so I'm going to challenge the premise. There's nothing wrong with being a
1: soldier. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Soldiers are necessary, right. and right. and so uh, Donna is. Although on some level, the question is understandable. Um, given that Martha is, is a doctor turning a healer into a killer, is that what happens with your companions? That's in some ways a legitimate question, but mm-hmm. there's absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong with being a soldier. And as this episode goes along, the doctor very unflatteringly begins showing irrational anti-military prejudice, mm-hmm. yeah, which I is want on, to that, yeah. only topped by Peter Capaldi. I mean, there were some tensions between the doctor and the brigadier and the doctor would chastise the brigadier for being too militaristic, mm-hmm. but this is not a flattering side of the doctor no the this, doctor this-
0: gets is yeah we'll 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 come that in just a sec too because yeah, the, the, I, I wanted to mention that, too.
1: I did like, though, when the doctor meets the new head of unit, uh, he salutes him. And the doctor's like, yeah. I'm not having a salute. And yeah. then Donna says, well, I'll have a salute. Yeah. And the guy looks over at the doctor who doesn't
0: tell him not to. <laughs> doesn't tell him not
1: to. So he salutes Donna, a civilian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. That was pretty good. Yes. Uh, the doctor does note that unit used to be more homespun. I like that, uh, that the uh, unit wasn't quite so... Uh, uh, in, the, in the classic, unit wasn't quite so high tech and, uh, and, uh, they were, together they were high like this. Let,
2: Let's just say they were high tech for the time. Sure. In classic <laughs> who it was
1: the 1980s after all, or maybe the 1970s. 70s, right. yeah. Uh,
0: so unit is now a part of something called Homeworld Security, uh, which apparently is an oblique reference to 9 11. Donna also makes a reference to, uh, to Guantanamo Bay. So there's a little bit of 9 11 ish mentioning here referencing here in this one uh then we we get the premise which is uh the reason they're they're raiding the atmos plant is 52 people in 11 time zones around the world died simultaneously mm-hmm. to the second in cars fitted with atmos they were, were poisoned um now atmos is supposed to reduce carbon emissions to zero and includes sat nav uh slash gps yeah. um and what interesting thing about this, by the way, is after this episode, O2, which is a British uh, cell phone company, released a sat nav. It, it, it's also called Atmos,
1: a, a molecule.
0: Well, it, yep. it is, but uh, they've pro- uh, co-opted it for this it. purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh they've. Uh, but they released a sat nav called Atmos. Would you use an Atmos <laughs> branded sat nav in your car? You know, some, I some, wouldn't.
2: Some uh, some uh, executive watched this episode and go, "You've got to be kidding me! We're just about to release that." that yes, right. But uh, I will point out, however, you look at the map of where people died, there was nobody yeah. in in Mountain Time, but there was somebody hey. in San Diego, and there was it somebody that looked like it might have been Boston. So sorry, Dom
1: and Jimmy. I, I noticed <laughs> the San Diego dot on the map. Yeah.
0: Uh, people who live in Montana have, like you have like three roads. Like, do you really need GPS? We got
2: we got lots of road. We just don't need GPS to travel down because the directions are. Go 150 miles south, turn right, go 50 miles more, you're there.
0: (laughs) Exactly. You've reached your final destination. (laughs) Here in Southern
2: California, we definitely
1: need catalytic converters in our cars, though. They are legally mandated because back in the 70s, we had a poison sky. Yep. Yeah. You could see how poisoned it was. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, the
0: the doc, you know, when we're mentioning, so they have this discussion. So, why would an alien, because the doctor's like, this is, this is Earth technology, but way advanced, you know, out mm-hmm. of its time. Uh, so why would someone create this device that removes uh, carbon monoxide from the atmosphere? And so the doctor says, you know how many cars there are on planet Earth, right? 800 million. Imagine that if you control them, you'd have 800 million weapons. And so that's really the the basic premise here is the Sontarans are going to invade and mm-hmm. their weapon of choice is taking over all the cars.
1: Yeah. Those are only half done, they only have 400 million weapons at the moment.
0: Yes, the doctor accelerates their their plans. I was gonna say there, there's there's
2: people there's people like me in Montana be like, yeah, no, I don't need it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask both of you: Have either of you seen the TV show Vikings? Now, there's a reason I asked this. This is relevant. Have either of you seen uh, the TV show Vikings? I've not. seen
1: clips of it, and I know of it.
0: Okay, so uh, we have this next scene where these unit soldiers. Find a Santaran cloning tank in the basement of the building.
1: Yeah, there's a goopy one, man in the green goop.
0: Yes. And one of the soldiers is played by an actor named Clive Standin. And I'm looking at him going, I know this guy. He hey, Clive Standin,
1: bring... that's really his name for an actor. That is,
0: well, you know, it is written. It's Clive Staples' <laughs> Well, it's not,
1: it's not the Clive part that I'm stand-in. It's, it's oh, stand stand-in.
0: in for it's, an actor. Oh, this
1: is my stand in right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yes, Clive, the stand in. But later on he will play the character of Rollo in Vikings who is the brother of the main character Rothgar Lothbrook. So I'm looking at this guy going, I know this guy he's much more clean cut in this role than he will be as a viking later on. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we have uh, they discover the tank uh, the Santaran commander um I want to call him Strax but it's not score
1: stall 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 is the head.
0: Stall that's right right, right. stall. I, I I get all my Santaran names mixed up. Um he comes down to confront them, and the soldier makes a short joke yeah. he comes down then,
1: by transmat he's yeah. up, apparently up in a spaceship
0: yes, yes should've, I should have mentioned that and uh so the soldier makes a short joke and the Santaran responds that words are the weapons of women folk, and thus determines the soldier to be an unfit opponent which <laughs> like, which is
1: remarkable for a Santaran to say that because Santarans are unisex they don't have women folk or men yes. folk. They're and clones. So he's he it it the only way to make sense of that is he's learned about human culture and mm-hmm. the relative on average greater strength of men and greater aggression proclivities of men, and is is turning the joke back based on a knowledge of human culture, which is remarkably perceptive of Stahl. And I have to say, not for that reason, but just in general. Stahl is a for for a villain. He's a well rounded villain. Oh, I mean, yeah. he comes yeah. across as as intelligent and in a way charming. He's mm-hmm. he, right. like when he takes the uh, the two soldiers who, for some reason, even though they're unit soldiers, they don't recognize a Centauran when they see one. It's like you right. have met these people before. Well, um, well,
0: and they're looking for aliens. Like I yeah. Know, yeah, what's <laughs> the
2: you know you didn't get a pre mission briefing. You, right. you, would, you would think that there would be uh part of their basic training for unit is here's the aliens Recognize. we have met before. Learn them, <laughs> know them, yeah. study them.
1: Exactly. And but uh when Stahl uh takes them captive, he's like apologizing, he's courteous to them and he's apologizes to them and says, I'm sorry, I, I hate to take you captive. I you know, death would be more honorable, but we need you for mm-hmm. this stratagem we're doing.
0: Right. And uh, so there's a this this thing where they he tells them to shoot at him. Fire! I, I, a soldier gives no warning. Fire! I order you fire, and their their guns don't fire. And he, he says, "Ha!" Stahl says, "We have a cordialing signal. It expa- excites the copper surface of the bullet, causing expansion within the barrel, rendering your guns useless." I'm saying that no. doesn't cause the gun not to fire. It that would, would, cause, would cause the gun to explode.
2: Yes, yeah. it would be like a jammed <laughs> shell yes. in the in the chamber, and it would go bang just not the way you expect it would not go click (laughs) it's
1: just tv writer not knowing how guns work just like you and i father talked about in uh secret to star trek last week uh where it's hollywood writer j michael straczynski has michael garibaldi firing bullets using a steam pipe in gray 17 is missing yep
0: (laughs) steam pipe yeah
2: it's I, as soon as it did that, you heard the click. It's like, that's not the sound of a bullet that's been expanded in the, the, the chamber. Yeah. That's the sound of an empty chamber.
0: Right. <sighs> the, yes. A click is an is an empty chamber. So uh, speaking of guns, we have this next scene where, uh, so these, these uh, soldiers are taken captive and turned into zombies. Uh, the, we have this next scene where the doctor is looking at this Atmos equipment and the, the colonel, Colonel Mace, the head of unit, is standing next to him. And the doctor gets, as we had talked about before, gets downright testy and rude to the mm-hmm. colonel who is carrying his service weapon as part of his job. Yeah, he's like, get away from me. You're carrying a gun. I don't like people with guns hanging around me. People with guns are usually the enemy in my books. Seriously? Yeah. Like, and watch
2: some classic Who. The doctor uses guns. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> he's the enemy in classic Who.
0: Right. Well, and, and I mean, the... the unit is the good guys i mean they've they've had to use their guns to save the earth and save the doctor more than once i Mm -hmm. mean come on this this i mean it's just it's so weird
1: yeah it's just it's just virtue signaling on the part of modern pc writers
0: yeah yeah. who obviously
1: don't understand guns hence the field they use to expand copper casings
0: (laughs) right i mean even in the the 10th doctor's run guns have been used and the doctor hasn't gotten all freaked out about it, but apparently only when people from earth use guns. Uh, mm. So the, the, uh, the doctor and Martha then have a little argument uh, and she defends herself as uh, saying that while the doctor can come and go as he pleases, some people have to stay behind and work in from the inside to make things better. And, and then he sort of like smiles as if that was his intention as to. To get her to say that all along or something. Uh,
1: and, and I this is this reflects poorly on Martha. Mar- we have no evidence that Unit is doing anything bad. Why does Martha need to reform it from the inside?
2: Again, because it's they just have guns. More, more virtue signaling.
0: <laughs> right, right.
2: I just so, I, well, uh, I wonder if the, 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 the author, Helen Raynor, I wonder I just I really wonder what if she's a pacifist or what, because I mean it's so much of this kind of language where military bad, you know, guns bad.
0: So something about Helen Rayner is that she she also wrote last season's two parter which was the Daleks take Manhattan uh, mm-hmm. episodes mm-hmm. Uh, which had its own problems and in fact, yep. she almost didn't write this she almost wouldn't agree to write this this uh, these two episodes uh based on how poorly the fans reacted to that mm. <laughs> to those two mm. so uh, and Russell uh well, D. Davies finally convinced her
1: this is better than those yes one one thing that may. Play a role. There's been some geopolitical analysis of the attitude towards uh, defense in Mm -hmm. Europe versus America, and Mm -hmm. this is this is not meant to be judgmental in any way. It's just uh, some analysis that's been offered. I think Robert Kagan used an analogy, used the analogy that I'm about to mention as a way of helping explain this. But World War II was a horrific, horrific event. And it was fought in Europe, not mm-hmm. America. And that means it left a wound on the European psyche much more profoundly than right. on the American psyche. And and consequently, the thought of another war like that happening in Europe is unthinkable. It's profoundly disturbing. You have to do, you can't allow yourself to even think about that. And that can lead for some individuals to a kind of all violence is bad, all use of force is bad, just kind of rhetoric, um, a right. kind of pacifistic rhetoric, even if it isn't full blown pacifism, but to the kind of knee jerk stuff we see Doctor Who doing in this episode. By contrast, Americans. Uh, have not had that experience of having that kind of horrific war fought on our own soil since the Civil War, mm-hmm. um, the American Civil War. And since World War II, we've shouldered the burden in terms of finances and manpower for defending the West. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. even though other nations are part of NATO, they contribute men and and, and uh, dollars to NATO or currency to NATO, um, really america is subsidizing all of the european nations defenses and that means americans have to think about defense in a somewhat more robust way if we're the ones who are subsidizing the defense of europe against soviet and or other aggression and kagan who's a geopolitical analyst um posed a metaphor of If you're a man who is in the woods with a bear, your native instinct is going to be avoid the bear because the bear is much more powerful than you. And if you are a man in the woods with a bear and you have a gun, your instinct may be more inclined to let's use the gun to get rid of the bear. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that dynamic be- between Americans who have the practical burden of shouldering the defense of the West, at least most of it, may explain some of why we find some of the anti gun, anti use of force rhetoric on Doctor Who as incomprehensible as we find it, because mm-hmm. it's not coming from a place of having to shoulder this defense responsibility. It's coming from a place of, we can never even think about having another war like that last one.
0: Right. Right. And certainly it's, it's not universal even within those societies, our society. and It's
1: it's, it's not universal here or there. These are just tendencies Mm -hmm. that manifest Mm -hmm. in different ways. We both have aggression and we both have pacifism in both our societies. It's just how that plays out given our geopolitical circumstances in history.
0: Interesting. So, uh, Donna is the one who actually finds the clue to what's going on here. The, the, their, their lead into the secrets of, uh, Atmos. Yeah. Uh, she, she finds out because she's has years working as a temp, the Super office temp. worker, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> office worker is the one who has the clue. She finds an empty file for the sick days re- recorded, which is a, which is a funny little thing. Uh, so none of the employees have taken ever taken a sick day, which is of course uh, impossible, uh, Although I would think that the employees being zombie-like would be a pretty good clue, uh, given the interview that uh, Donna, I mean, that Martha has with the the worker, uh, I, Tepper. Uh, yeah, I think
1: the implication is that the factory was originally built without everyone being a zombie, which would explain why they have a sick day folder at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And then very quickly, everyone at the factory was turned into a zombie. So nobody nobody did
2: office paperwork after that
0: apparently none of these guys go home uh at the end of the day yeah they
2: the Drepper <laughs> said he worked 24 hours a day so yeah, yeah.
0: and their their families don't miss him so that's and he's got tachycardia <laughs> yeah uh so uh so we have this this uh the history of atmos we found out that luke radigan from the radigan academy invented atmos he's a boy genius who invented a search engine which is the Early two thousands equivalent of uh, internet uh, billionaire. That's the yep. shorthand for that. Uh, at at eighteen, think think and Bill
2: Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, Sir Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. Yeah. yeah, that kind of yeah. person.
0: Yes. So a, uh So the doctor is going to take a, a Jenkins, a Ru- Russ Jenkins, the unit soldier, with him over to uh, to Radigan Academy to. Uh, talk to uh luke radigan yeah. uh, and
1: meanwhile j- j- just notice the discrepancy here <clears throat> um ross carries a gun yeah and a bigger gun than the majors
2: mm-hmm. and the doctor
1: <laughs> yeah. has no problem being around ross he even engages in playful banter with radigan about ross it's like oh we love ross he's awesome
0: well yeah. and the other thing too is is that when the doctor says i want you know someone to drive me over to radigan academy the colonel says, you know, why don't you just take the TARDIS? And the doctor says, oh, we have a unknown enemy. I should take this super uh, time machine with me so that they could use this as, uh, against us. And the unicorn calls him and he goes, so you fly around in a weapon, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, I
2: you have weapons too. Oh, snap. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> and
0: he calls the doctor on giving orders.
2: I like the colonel at this one because he, he gets back to the doctor twice because there's that. And then, you know, he's, the doctor says, no orders. And then he salutes, and the doctor says, "No salutes." And Colonel goes, "Well, that was an order."
0: Yes, yeah. He calls him on <laughs> on giving orders. Yeah. So, uh, and at the same time, now Martha advises Donna about you have to be careful about the doctor because, you know, he's like fire. He's he's brilliant, but if you stand too close, people get burned. And, and so- she
1: specifically warns. I mean, this comes up because Donna is wondering, should I warn my family about the Atmos systems on their car? And Martha right. says it wouldn't hurt. And then yes. Martha reveals her, which is interesting that they would do that in the middle of a crisis, you know, right. because it just, I could, part of me, I mean, immediate, my, part of my mind immediately goes to, is this the right time to warn them? Or would that actually provoke worse dangers if they try to take the mm-hmm. thing off their cars?
0: Right. Um, right.
1: But, it, but Martha then reveals to Donna what happened to her own family. And not in detail, but basically she communicates they all got really hurt and they're wounded Mm -hmm. as a result of my interactions with the doctor. And so we get this great scene where Donna comes to the doctor and says she's she's not coming. She's going home. And the doctor has this whole speech about, oh, well, it's a little soon, but I respect you and I've had a great time with you and blah, blah, blah. And finally, the penny drops and he realizes you're just going home for a visit and you're going to be back, right? And she's like, Yeah, of course. Yeah, you donkey. <laughs> <laughs> she
0: calls him.
2: <laughs> just poking the whole good. sappy goodbyes the doctors had, and it's just like, But yeah. this really isn't goodbye, is it? I was no. going to show you <laughs>
0: the 15th broken moon of the Medusa Cascade in the lightning skies of carter Paluni's world. And she's like, You dumbo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then she calls him a great big outer space dunce. Uh, and think what's more you can give me a lift come on broken moon of what oh i know i know he says and then they drive away (laughs) (laughs) so uh uh, as uh donna gets home they they drop her off uh, at the corner uh and she's she's walking to her house we have this kind of i don't know i felt like it was a little bit of an odd uh, uh, a flashback sequence of uh, this melancholy flashback sequence of Donna's memory. I'm like, why are we seeing this? Like, what is this about?
1: I know. Well, she's, she's seeing, uh, I mean, this is just my guess, but she like sees a kid who's playing with a ball and she thinks about one of the children who died at Pompeii Mm. that she saw and similar things. And so she's relating her experiences elsewhere, which have involved tragedy to her home street that she lives on and is wondering, will tragedies like that
2: very yeah. soon be happening here? And that thought makes her sad. Well, it makes sense, especially after the conversation with, with, uh, with Martha, with Martha, she's thinking yeah. about all that put together. So no, it actually, now that you mention it, it does make a lot more sense than it did initially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it did seem a little odd in the first, it was great to see Wilf. I I mean, I've, I make no secret of the fact that I love Wilf. He's, he is uh fantastic. And, uh, and we'll, we get this great moment later on where Wilf recognizes the doctor from the yes. Voyage of the Damned, yep. and then and, and Mart- Mom Mart- recognizes
1: recognizes <laughs> him from the Runaway Bride, and <laughs> yep. right. Donna doesn't realize the doctor has met both her mom and Wilf before.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a great scene. Uh, and then we have the dynamic between Wilf and the mom, and like we have yet and like we've talked about before. And yet another uh, 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 mom who just is a, a, a battle act uh, to the kids and to the dad. So it's it's, but, you know, that's being the case. Oh,
1: there's also in that in that bit where Wilf is going to the mom. How do you know the doctor? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's because uh, and she says he's the man from the wedding, which we saw in the runaway bride. But Wilf was not in the runaway bride because he wasn't cast yet. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, we've talked about how originally the Wilf character was going to be Doc Donna's father, but the actor died. So they came up with Wilf as the grandfather, but then he wasn't at the wedding. Why not? The mother reminds him that at the wedding, Wilf had the Spanish flu. Right. And I'm going, Wilf had the Spanish flu? The <laughs> one that killed millions and millions of people at the
0: end of <laughs> World War I? Really? Yeah. He had that when the wedding was going on? that's quite a quite a long time to incubate that's yeah it's like 10 sure. percent of global
1: population died or something <laughs>
0: yeah. I, well i, uh, I wonder I think though the,
2: if, if that's kind of become a free like we might talk about having just the common flu you like know?
0: an idiomatic phrase that just people instead of people just saying you have the flu you have the spanish flu i yeah, thought it was just could,
1: an in joke for people who know what the spanish flu is but
0: it could be it could be so uh we find out as the doctor and uh ross or jenkins uh, as he's called alternatively. Uh, are driving over to Radigan Academy that, that we find out that all government vehicles are fitted with Atmos, even though unit know, knows that there's something dodgy about them and, and, and <sighs> they, they can't take the a typical government bureaucracy. We know there's a problem, but regulations mm-hmm. are regulations. you have yep. got to have this thing on there. Uh, it just, it seems very uh, like such a bad idea. I mean, just from a secrecy point of view, putting something in all government vehicles. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I can attest to this, uh, from personal experience just this last weekend I was uh signing paperwork at a state park because it, they have a it's a historic state park they have a historic dance group that meets once a month and I'm become or twice a month and I'm becoming their new caller so that means I need clearance as a like sort of employee of the state park so I had to come in and fill out all this paperwork and as I'm doing it the guy is apologizing to me because he's saying like okay so this is really you're going to have to fill out multiple, multiple things with the same information. We're trying to get mm-hmm. this all streamlined, but this dates from before computers. And so it's, it's, <laughs> in it's inefficient and we know it and we're working on it. That's, fill out the that's forms
2: and triplicate the, and fax to this place and send to that place. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's government for you. We, we know it's inefficient, but it's the way it is. So we'll have to live with it. Uh, so the doctor shows up at Radigan Academy and, uh, he sees them developing technology for living on a hostile planet of some sort. He sees these terraforming technologies uh, and then notices the nice big teleport pod in yeah. the middle of Radigan's office. Uh, and so he just wanders over and transports up to the Santaran <laughs> ship. I do love this line because being a dad, I love a good pun. Uh, the, the, the Sontaran yells, intruder alert. And the yeah. doctor says, intruder, <laughs> intruder alert. How do you get in? Intrude a window. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great dad joke. And then he uh, accuses the Suntaran. One Suntaran gets through before the doctor shuts down the teleport pod. uh, And he accuses the uh, Suntaran of uh, not typical Suntaran behavior, hiding behind teenagers, uh, not fighting openly. Yeah. Because Suntarans are big on honor. This
1: is General Stahl who's down Mm -hmm. here.
0: That's right. Uh, and then the doctor notes that the Sontarans' uh, one weakness is the probic vent in the back of their neck. It's a feeding tube, and uh, they they it requires them to always face their enemy into battle. Mm-hmm. But the doctor uses a racket ball, a racket ball, racket, racket to bounce a ball off the back of his, his head off the probic vent, which is quite a quite a shot. That was that actually got be. a mm-hmm. bravo to the doctor on that one, and. Uh, so they, they escape out the door as the uh, Santarans.
1: This probic vent weakness is not really plausible, even if they do feed through their mouth, uh-huh. through, through their probic vent. That's like their the equivalent of their mouth. And right. it's a piece of machinery. So it's not yeah. when you hit it with a tennis ball, it's not even like being socked in the
2: mouth. Well, and it's just simple, too, as if they did have something like that. Wouldn't they have something like, say, maybe a metal cover that could be put <laughs> over it? Yeah. Yeah,
0: like, but a, like a lid. But the sometimes have not invented the lid. The lid, <laughs> yeah.
2: We have this superior lid
1: technology here on Earth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, meanwhile, so they're escaping in their Atmos equipped vehicle, which they take control of. And the doctor undoes using the classic Kirk stratagem of... Uh, telling it to do the opposite of what yeah. it's supposed to do <laughs> yeah. and, and having it explode.
1: And the dialogue is not great here because he's like talking to the Atmos and saying, okay, so you're programmed to do the opposite of whatever I say. So we're going to ignore whatever I say. Right. And the Atmos yes. confirms it. And then he says, I order you to drive into the river to get it, to not drive them into the river. Mm-hmm. So it's reverse psychology. But right. if you just established it's going to ignore whatever you say, that's not do the opposite of whatever you say. That's ignore whatever you say. Yeah. So if you say drive us into the river, it's going to ignore that and drive into the river anyway.
0: Right, exactly. right.
1: So that could have
2: they needed to fix on the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. you're programmed to ignore everything I say, right? Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> 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 so, There's your answer. <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, Martha has been uh, taken captive by the zombie uh, unit soldiers and is being cloned. Uh, so the others are just hypnotized, but they're cloning her.
1: Yeah, because so, so security clearance.
0: No, no, no. They,
1: they, this is actually pretty. There are good reasons for this. With the clones, okay. they're clearly zombies. I mean, when Martha mm-hmm. interacts with the Polish guy, it's clear he's he's under some kind of mental control. That's true, but. They want something more sophisticated for Martha. They need her to do something that requires right. her to not be immediately perceived as a zombie, so right. they create a clone and then give her access the clone access to her memories
0: right, right, right. The so cl- the, clone the clone
1: has a full personality but also right. access to her memories and since it has a full personality and her memories, it can impersonate Martha much more effectively
0: okay so the uh, the doctor. He, they they escape from the—I do like the fact that when they jump from the Jeep, he, they dive away from it, And mm-hmm. by the way, and and it, waiting for it to explode, and it just zaps.
2: Nothing uh, happens. So, it just fries. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and then we have the cloned Martha, uh, and she's going around uh, looking to—what exactly was she looking for? They were looking for the doctor, or uh, what were they going to mm. use the cloned Martha for, now that I think about it?
1: I'm 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 forgetting exactly what the clone does (laughs) do effectively, though, is Donna calls Martha or rather calls Martha's cell phone, assuming Mm -hmm. she's talking to Martha and tells her uh, a piece of information about Atmos that is important and needs to be passed on to General or Colonel Mace and um and the martha clone says oh i'll tell him immediately and general may and shuts the phone and general mace walks up and says anything up and she's like nope everything's fine
0: right right so the
1: the martha clone intercepts a piece Mm -hmm. of information that general uh, colonel mace needs
0: (laughs) so meanwhile the doctor has shown up at donna's house and he's messing with um their car with the atmos converter on it and the doctor discovers that the converter's uh, they conv- they create poisonous gas, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it not just, you know, removing... It's not you know, that the,
1: poisonous. They're standing right there, and none of them are showing
2: toxicology yeah. symptoms. <laughs>
0: right, right. But, it, but I you know, it's, it,
2: the gas is located in a temporal pocket within the device.
0: Yes, You got to get right. time involved yeah. because... The pocket yeah.
1: is bigger on the inside to hold all that gas.
0: Exactly. So uh, the Santarans activate the devices all over the world. Everyone's starting to choke. The doctor... Is helpless he's kind of standing in the middle of the road, just looking in all directions, and Wilf once again has a tendency to get himself locked in places that will kill him <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's foreshadowing yeah, now, I guess that's what
0: it is I
2: was thinking about this though wouldn't it have been safer inside the car than outside of the car spewing this toxic gas out the tailpipe with the, the locked well, car apparently the gas inside the gas is
0: coming inside the car that's the, that's the thing yeah the gas is also inside, so okay. he can't get away from it. Apparently. Apparently. Um, and and that's where we have the to be continued. Uh, next time in the Poison Sky, the Doctor, uh, everyone on Earth dies from uh, smog. Yeah. So that's that. Um, and uh, so we you know we we yeah. have this this moment where the Doctor is completely helpless and Wilf collapses and you know everything seems at its hopeless at yeah. its nadir. Yes. Belly of the Beast. So and then so next time we'll come back we'll talk about the poison sky and uh, the mm-hmm. second part of this story and uh, but in the meantime uh, uh, first I want any any final notes about this episode I, I do want to get to some listener feedback before we finish up I did uh, there-
2: I did laugh um, you know as as the poisonous gas is coming out of all these vehicles including all of Unix vehicles you know they're they're ordering them to shut them down however possible and they start shooting the exhaust pipe. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not, not just knowing not how guns work, not just not knowing how cars work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah.
2: I had um, a, I thought there was a nice
1: point where the doctor points out the law of unintended consequences. Um, because he uh, he he mentions at one point that because Atmos is uh does what it does, it means he's talking to Luke at this point. And he points out that because Atmos does what it does, it improves driving. And so that means more people will be driving and the world's oil supply will run out sooner, not later. And right. um, so it's nice to have, I mean, there's enough awareness there on the mm-hmm. author and, and or Russell T. Davies part that, yes, there is the law of unintended consequences. That's something that's often ignored in these TV sci-fi scenarios. Um I'm, Luke is an interesting character. I haven't seen this. I don't think, I, and I haven't seen it in years, so I don't have clear memories of this two-parter. I may not have seen it since it originally broadcast. So I'm going to be interested to see the next part because Luke is such an interesting character. He is short, like the Centaurans, and my notes um, is says Luke is short and genocidal because yeah. he has <laughs> like no problem with the Centaurans killing all of these humans and taking over earth. And, and in fact and he kind of looks, looks like very, looks, him,
2: looks at himself yeah.
1: as a Santaran Sunt- where he gets involved. Ex- exactly. And at the end the Santarans are all doing this war chant. They're all going Santar ha, Santar ha and they're slapping their fists together together on the ha. And Luke joins in that chant, which is totally bizarre if Luke is just a human. So <sighs> I'm Wondering in the next episode, are we going to have a reveal that Luke is some kind of changeling or something and has some kind of Santaran background or is even a Santaran in disguise, like one of the clones, like mm. the Martha clone mm. or something. Um, also, one thing I liked in the when the doc because of the doctor's involvement, the Santarans are accelerating their plan. So even though they've only got 400 million of the world's 800 million cars converted, they deem that enough, and they activate their battle plans. And so you have this summons to battle on the the space station's announcement system. And as it's telling the soldiers to to get ready for battle, because they have this warrior ideology, it's saying, rejoice. (laughs) And and I like how that would happen with a warrior race. You know, we've got a battle now. Everybody rejoice. And, uh, and then I, just another thing on the dialogue level at the very end to hype the drama, the doctor says it's every single car on the planet. And I'm going, but a few scenes ago, you said it was only half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. So, that's right. yeah, but still an interesting <laughs> first episode. Yep.
0: Yes. Absolutely. So we've got some feedback from listeners, uh, going back to, uh, episode 131 partners in crime where, uh, the first episode of this season where Donna and the doctor team up for the first time. Uh, Kelly Brown writes, I'm so glad you're reviewing the Donna season. She was my favorite companion. I also need to say thank you for mentioning the Big Finish Missy series. Yo. Jimmy was right. It is brilliant. I just finished Broken Clock, and I haven't laughed this much in a long time.
1: I know. Broken Clock is awesome. That's the one. <laughs> uh, it features a... So there are four audio plays in the series. They're they're all really good, but three of them are just over-the-top brilliant, and that's one of them. It features... Um, a tv show it's an episode of a tv show called dick zodiac america's most impossible killers and it's uh and in the episode the detective who's investigating a series of impossible killings is assisted by di missy masters from scotland yard in england
0: (laughs) i really have to get this i have to get this so that sounds great um Marian Luther writes, uh, Doctor Who had the romance with River Song. She was the best and interacted especially well with Peter Capaldi's Doctor. I would mm-hmm. have liked to have seen more of them as a couple traveling through time. That being said, I think the companion should remain as friends. The only part of Tenet's run that I disliked was his romantic relationship with Rose. Mm. Interesting point. Thank you. Uh, then on episode 132 on uh, Inferno. Amy Flowers writes, My friend and I are working through some of the third Doctor stories, and we haven't had Inferno on our list. But after listening to this episode, it's on the list now. Evil (laughs) AU is all we needed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we really liked Liz Shaw as a companion with her cool head and approach to things. It's too bad she wasn't around for longer, but she shined brightly when she was on. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Amy. And then from YouTube, uh, Doctor Who Adventures writes, uh, this episode is simply iconic, well-written, brilliantly acted and beautiful score. Not to mention Karen, uh, Gillen and Peter Capaldi came from this story. Great video. Actually, that was on the, of course, on the, uh, fires Pompeii. of Pompeii, yep. fires of Pompeii, but yes, that was a great episode. And of course, yes, gave us Karen and, Gillen and, and, Peter and had Capaldi. its own
1: kind of inferno.
0: Yep, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, I, was, I thought it was nice the way those two, uh, were back to back on our show. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you all for that feedback. Uh, Before we finish up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including Lindsay S., Ahmad A., David S., Stan S., and Thomas M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows we have at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of this 10th Doctor story, this the Suntaran Stratagem? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback there or send an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second part of this two-part story, The Poison Sky. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Glad to be here and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on Star Quest. And remember, this is your final destination.
2: Right. This is going to be fun.